attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audience talk with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm dreaming of doing your own thing, or maybe you've had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture, and they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host, Catherine McPhail, and I had with a special guest. Or will it be guests? from the Context and Clarity community. All of this to break down last week's Context and Clarity live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we all share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity live conversation to our own businesses. Let's get into it. Welcome to the backstage area of the Context and Clarity studios. This week on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine and I talked to Scott Reynolds. He's the co-founder and CEO of Upcodes, and we wanted to know what our audience thought about the conversation with Scott, so we've invited Ryan Shoup to join us backstage. Ryan is a door hardware specialist and a senior project architect at Minnow and Wasco Architects and Planners in Lambertville, New Jersey. So Ryan, welcome backstage. Yeah, it's good to have you here, Ryan. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Catherine. Thanks uh, to both of you for having me on. It's it's great to have you here. And so a little inside joke for the uh, uh, the Context and Clarity community. Ryan is not joining us from central New Jersey today. It's uh, 
We're, we're actually, your firm is based in Lambertville, New Jersey, but where are you actually located? Where's home base for you? I'm in Central Jersey. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, why, uh, why uh, wouldn't Hamilton, he be there today? I, you know, I, can I just say something about that? There's no problem with saying that he's from Central Jersey, and people say it doesn't exist. It obviously, I mean, it exists, right? It's in the center of New Jersey, so I don't know why it's controversial. Yeah, I, I don't know the inside scoop. I agree. On that. What's what's, the, what's <laughs> my, the, uh, that's, what's the big controversy? I mean, no, I, people I've just don't think there is any such thing. Fully, yeah, I've only lived in New Jersey for now. Um, almost eight years. So, uh, mm. maybe it's something you had to be born here to be fully into. Um, Probably, but I mean, I don't know. It's I'm halfway between the north end and the south end, so I just say central. Okay. Well, I guess right now, here and now, we can claim central New Jersey. We have no idea who we're offending or why at this point, but mm-hmm. Ryan's in central New Jersey. So. Jake really seems to be uh, offended occasionally. <laughs> I think he is the, the one that usually brings that up. Um, so we talked to uh, Scott Reynolds, founder of Upcodes. I'm fascinated. Uh, for those of you in our audience that don't know what Upcodes is, go to up.codes. Uh, that's the actual URL. And I'm going to describe it as a tool to help you research, to help you understand codes, to create uh, workflows for all of your your code research and documentation that you need. To, I guess for our audience, we'll say as an architect, but it's applicable for uh, contractors and engineers and, and all types of other people uh, in the uh, AEC world, if we want to say it that way. But Ryan, you know, it, you've talked before about your your love of and your focus on door hardware and things like that. What um, What's yep. your biggest takeaway from this conversation with Scott? Question. Um, myself personally, I I think I've uh, taken a look at Upcodes once or twice in the past. Um, I've never used it on a project to do code review. I, especially in New Jersey, um, I feel like New Jersey has some pretty simple online tools and links to get to the uh, uh, the information that you need. So. Um, where I am right now, I don't really feel a need to use upcodes, but uh, um, I, I do think it's it's good that they are, you know, making this information free. That they have also all these other tools to um, uh, kind of help architects to look through these very very complex documents. So you know, I'm glad that they're doing that. Is it so, is it free these days? Because I thought it was free and it's not free anymore. It seems like it's. Maybe there's something. It's like thirty-five. Oh, maybe I'm out of the way. I don't know. I mean, I looked at it recently because I thought, well, I looked into it because they were advertising on one of the podcasts, I think, and I thought, well, okay, I'll see what they're up to. And um, but I, I, as I was saying during the interview, I, I don't use it enough. I don't, I don't have a complex. Um, you know, if I were doing a mercantile building and I wasn't, I'd have to do it that way. But I'm just doing a residence, and it's not a lot code-wise. It's more zoning issues for me than code issues because they kind of know what it is. So it wasn't worth the money for me to do it, but um, but if I were doing a commercial building, I definitely would get that. So then I wouldn't miss anything because um, even though I love, I actually love going through the code and all the different finding the answers. It might actually be easier for someone to for them to be guiding me through it, you know. But what an overwhelming task that he has, you know. I to me, it's I'm glad he's doing it because trying to help people navigate that would be hard. 
yeah, yeah. None, none of you were able to listen in as Catherine and I uh, were talking backstage with uh, Scott after the Clarity Live, but we talked for a minute. Catherine brought up, brought up zoning because it also came up during the Context and Clarity Live conversation. And, yeah. you know, it, it will eternally fascinate me that there's something like 93,000 codes just in the U.S. You know, this whole idea of right. zoning would be exponential. To that number, I suppose I don't. Even, I can't even fathom what the the different the number of different just just unbelievable. And and it's also interesting to me that that um, between the three of us, I I am happily not. And between the so between the two of you, you have a if I can call it sort of a fairly narrow project specific location specific example that you commercial building that more code involvement, wide, broader maybe code involvement and there's lots of need for it out there but i think on the flip side there's lots of people that just like the two of you that go well you know why why for me personally yeah i mean one thing i liked that he was talking about was that um and i i suppose it was a feature that is in upcodes where you can uh, run a comparison so you basically input information about your building into the system uh, under a specific code and then you say you want to build a similar building in a different jurisdiction, different code requirements, you uh, run a comparison and it tells you what the differences are. That would be that would be very useful, especially, um, I mean, uh, the work that I do with Minnow Wasco is mostly with large developers, and uh, it's in most, uh, all, every project I've done for the company has been in New Jersey, but they do projects in other states also. Um, so uh, to be able to um, run that analysis and show a developer, you know, you just built this building in New Jersey. Uh, this is what you would have to change about it to uh, do a similar building in Pennsylvania or Connecticut or other states like that. That's uh, that's really handy. And especially um, the thing that we're always chasing is just the updates in the codes. So um, in New Jersey, I think it was two years ago now, we went from... Uh, uh, the code is based off of the 2015 IBC, and then they changed it to the 2018 IBC. And uh, I'm not sure exactly when the next change is coming, but uh, it's probably in a year or two. Um, and it's it's just this constant, uh, you know, we're chasing what are the new requirements, what do we have to change about what we've uh, been accustomed to doing on projects uh, to adapt to the new the new requirements. That's a good yeah. point. Well, if, this, if UpCode's been around... 20 years ago or so, it would have made me feel a lot more, it just would have been a lot easier for me to feel confident in that I was doing it correctly, you know, but it wasn't, but it it would, I mean, so I can see how other people could find it very, um, very useful. Back when I was a young architect, we had to look it all up in books. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just, um, I was going to say, I just, uh, the transfer, the transition from uh, printed documents to even a PDF, whether it's a, a PDF or a website, um, you're able to do a search function, and it just searches for every instance of a word. Um, that's that's such a huge time saver uh, compared to a printed document. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned during Context and Clarity Live, as Scott was describing layering and, and images and as he talked about the the wall types, I mean that just that blew up in my head because the types of projects you work on are not right. But I used to do a lot of mixed use and multifamily projects, and so 
you know, what's the separation between this unit and this unit? What's, you know, this use and that use, that type of thing. And so you're looking in the code. And I, I distinctly remember, you know, my big drafting table. Wow, you had a drafting table. Wow. Drafting table. Um, you know, we, ironically, we did a lot of work by hand and then a lot of work did both. But um, a lot of times I use my drafting table for the code books space. But you'd, you'd have the code book. You'd have two or three different books open, cross-reference these things, and then Scott's talking about, oh, you know, you're reading the section that brings up this this uh, diagram of this two-hour wall, and um, you know, is, is linking the two, and my my mind was just blowing because I right. just like what you said. If I had that fifteen twenty, uh, that yeah. yeah, that sounds really good. I mean, um, the unfortunate thing. Uh, I think a lot of architects work this way is that you do a lot of code research to develop, whether it's your wall types or uh, floor ceiling assemblies or or just even up applying specific fire ratings to different areas of the project or, I mean, really whatever it is. We do an enormous amount of code research and then uh, a lot of times we just kind of leave the drawings where they are and uh, all of that the steps that we took to get to that conclusion, uh, just kind of, we forget them. <laughs> and then, um, so it's just, I, I imagine this tool, um, has, it kind of shows you a path of, you know, okay, this is the way that this wall assembly is set up, but the reason for why it's set up specifically that way is because of this section of the code and this section of the code, and, and you can backtrack it in, um, I think that would help everybody you know uh, during construction communicating to the contractors why they have to do certain things or responding to questions from code officials. That sounds uh, like that would be very useful. Isn't that what a code analysis is? I mean, if you're looking up, like if you're doing a certain building, like writing down the the paths of, of everything, what I used to do anyway. I mean, you say like this section of the code, then go to this one. So it's like what he's talking about in one of the podcasts we listened to about how you can choose your own adventure going through these things, but it, they lay it all out instead of you having to say it's like this, like building type M, and then you go to this part and that part. Yeah. So anyway, I used to write those out. Maybe people don't do that anymore. I don't know. When we, not my world anymore, but I think I identify with what Ryan was saying because I think what we would produce, oh, the code sheet all the yep. things and somewhere i probably had handwritten notes how i got from point but i don't know that i ever really quote unquote documented that right. for the project and so you know it would take me or someone else finding those notes um but um but but i do i i hear exactly what you're saying uh, you know with that documenting it even even when you you know you're on site and the contractor is is pushing back on something well you know why do we have to do it here you know here or or because it's upcodes um, or or again this is not a commercial for upcodes but it's um, a tool like upcodes you know you can pull it up on your phone or your tablet or right that I think is fascinating not to throw well, contractors on the bus but I've had conversations like that before. Hmm. Well, it is. It does make it easier to have that conversation because you have that right there instead of just saying it's no. I say it's this way. You say right. it's that way. So or the inspector uh, or the inspector. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, they don't, we don't have those kind of conversations with the code officials. It's more like a contractor. But anyway, um, I was thinking about the competition, you know, how right now there is, he doesn't have competition, but what would that even look like? I mean, how could there be, who would want to have a business where they decide they're going to go into competition with uploads? You know, unless they were going to do it completely differently, there's no point in them redoing exactly what they have and then trying to get people to sign up with them. Right. Hmm. So. And I'm not saying he'll, they'll never have competition, but someone would have to do it, uh, like come up with a totally different way of looking at the codes. Yeah, that's I would think. But there will eventually be a chip that's just installed in our brains, hopefully, and then we don't have to have any of that. Or that's the AI conversation, I guess. That's later. That's a that's a really interesting question. I don't. I suspect, like, if if I wanted to compete with upcodes, I think. What I would want to do is take the upcodes concept, but then probably add features to it, unique features to, you know, it's the plugin, it's the AI plugin for your BIM model, or maybe I reduce it down and it's specifically for residential so that I have a lower cost or something like that. I, I, I think you're, you're right. It's, you know, what would you do differently? I think you'd have to, Either add or subtract would be my guess, but other developers would see that. Well, he um, he was talking in that podcast that we listened to about how um, you know if you're a user of it, then you can think about how it would improve. So I guess that would be the only way a competitor would be able to improve on it. Be one of their his users, but anyway, he seems pretty open to suggestions. So oh. having to do it all yourself, you could just uh, suggest changes to him. Anyway, it's a pretty, pretty great idea. Well, and I, I like that that openness. I mean, it's I think we've started mentioning this every week because it keeps coming up with all of our, not all, but many of our Context and Clarity Live guests, this idea of community, building community, which is the mm-hmm. basis of Context and Clarity itself. So it gets a little bit meta, I guess, at this point. But, <laughs> but you know, he's... By being that plugged in to the community and and wanting and accepting that feedback from the community, I think that gives them a distinct advantage yeah. over over any I mean over ICC potentially, but but um, uh, or or your local code official as long as you don't have trust issues. Um, that, yeah, that uh, that community focus is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like what Pat Flynn would recommend about his community, you know? So yeah. it all ties think, together. Yeah, like right now they I think part of the uphill battle that he's got with um you know with this I don't I'm not sure what state the ongoing lawsuit's in right now, but um um just this pushback from ICC and from um kind of the the various powers that sort of determine what the codes are is that they've it's been working this way for such a long time. And, um, the, ne- the, the other part of it too, is this is this, uh, the codes do become law. So it is, it's not just any sort of document that, uh, upcodes is dealing with. They're actually documents that have legal implications. Um, so, and that's, that's something that I was kind of, um, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if this, if they, I mean, right now, I think most of the challenges that are going through are copyright issues, but then the 
once they get beyond that too, there'll be the question of, um, so you are essentially providing all this information, which is, um, legal information. And then at some point, do they become responsible for providing correct information? So if they're, the info they have for some, like for the state of New Jersey or whatever it is, um, is out of date and it's showing something wrong and somebody makes decisions based on what they see in upcodes, uh, do they then become liable for having outdated information? Yeah, well, um, we talked about that a little to, bit with him To after. get back to your point, though, Jeff, the question of uh, community. Sorry, sorry to interrupt there. So um, we talked to him about that, and he was basically saying upcodes is kind of a way to teach you what, how to look at the code, and you should go back and check on the most recent mm -hmm. version. So it's not giving you the answer, but it's showing you how to get the answer, I guess, is the way I would interpret it. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, because they can't – I mean, that would be a lot of liability. Yeah. Um, I mean, but to get back to your point, Jeff, about the community, um, that's uh, – I mean, I think they're regarding code issues and um, especially as architects are working on any project that uh, is somewhat pushing the boundaries. So something that's not um, – uh, simple from a code perspective, but is uh, kind of pushing up against some code requirements. Um, there's a tendency for architects to be kind of fearful and not really want to um, share or advertise that they're they're doing something that's um, questionable from a code standpoint. Um, but really, that's unfortunate because. Um, there are probably other architects who are running into the same issue. Like some um, on the um, uh, in the live version, um, Scott was talking about. Uh, he briefly talked about podium buildings, for example. So that's um, a section of IBC that I feel is pretty. Um, there's not a lot to how it's written, so it could be interpreted different ways depending on how you're looking at it, and um, that's. Uh, uh, that's that's just a reflection that I had too. But that um, you know, it's great to have the information on what does the code say. It's great to have these uh, automated tools that uh, run calculations for you and kind of come to some conclusions for you. Um, but also, there there is a subjective element to uh, build a code interpretation. You have to um, kind of draw your own line in the sand as the architect of record and say, you know, this is what we feel the code says. This is and we. Uh, reasonably believe that the building we designed is compliant with that and then but sometimes you still have to have a discussion with the code official and see if they'll accept that interpretation or not um and uh you know because there's this um uh, discussion that has to happen um and because it can be very technical and complex uh, i think just architects a lot of times are scared to um to have that discussion kind of in a in a more open uh, community it kind of gets closed off. That, that's an interesting point. And as you're describing that, you know, what's going through my head is, uh, you know, I'm stuck on the machine learning and AI piece. <laughs> and so is there a way to say, okay, this is the code. And then also go back through the, the public record, you know, however this works and find all the variances. And maybe this is incorporated into future versions of the code right now. I don't I actually don't even but 
given the the pa- the computing power that there's a way to say, okay, this is the code. Um, these are the variances. Maybe even filed for in one and filed for and, and denied. That can maybe predict the likelihood that you'd be some sort of variance in in this case. And you know, and I don't think this would ever happen. But like you're saying, Ryan, architects would rather keep this close to the rest. But what if people did share? Hey, this is what we're. This is where we might want to push. This is a variance that we considered. Could that be wrapped in? That could, that could have some some pretty interesting implications to code. I would. Yeah. And uh, you know, it still it still becomes a liability issue though because I um, you know, the code review I think is one of the things code review and uh, facade detailing. Um, are two of the things that uh, architects, I think, are very worried about uh, just from their liability perspective. To get Zach Waters in this conversation, we had, for those of you mm-hmm. who don't know, we had Zach Waters on Context and Clarity Live uh, several weeks ago, a risk management specialist. So we need to wrap Zach into this part of the conversation. And, and we should just have him back every two months, and we have more risk questions for him. But I'm sure more and more will keep coming up. Because I think you're right. We are scared. We are afraid of our liability and taking risks with things like details and whatever else. But I kind of feel like if we share that or we question publicly question what we're doing in in a space like Entree Architect, I think it could be helpful and other people could learn something. And there will be some, uh, I don't know what to call them, certain people who will be a little discouraging to people and make people panic but i think it would be good just to air that out because either you can sit there and worry about it yourself or you can put it out to your colleagues and say what do you think and um i don't know just makes working on things together i think is always better but that's me yeah but, yeah i think i think that's that's a great point you know that this is all of this that happens context and clarity conversations context and clarity live this podcast they're they're all part of the Entree Architect community, for those of you that are listening and aren't aware, there is a uh, group on Facebook called the Entree Architect Community Facebook group with almost 7,400 members, architects from around the world. It's a closed group. It's just for architects, students, and people working towards becoming architects. Um, And that's a great place to air these things and ask these questions and have these types of conversations because it's it's a safe place. It's a safe place for architects to do that. And I, I agree with both of you. I think that's that's a um, that's a way to strengthen not only the profession as a whole, you know, at the thirty thousand foot, but also help you strengthen your own practice. Where right, and besides, even just something you're trying to do in the moment, uh, even sharing past failures can be tremendously beneficial for even for yourself, but for uh, other people to learn from things that you did that ended up not working out. Um, it's uh, everybody learns from it. Yep. That's a great point. Every, every time I speak at a comp, you know, they always introduce you with the bio and okay. They just said the good things. Um, <laughs> what I'm really bringing to this conversation is uh, 30 years of, of trials, tribulations, and failures that uh, that you can learn from. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's the, the, the important stuff. 
if they included that in a bio, though, wouldn't you be a little bit like, oh, okay, thanks for that introduction. Uh, maybe I'll uh, maybe mean, I'll write a bio be... like that for the next one and have him read it. <laughs> and like Jeff has some self esteem issues. We should just talk about that <laughs> next time. This, this guy's a total yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you're right, and we all have failures and successes. And um, if we only talk about our successes, then nobody it doesn't help anybody, you know. But talking about our failures, I think, right. helps people more. I don't know why did we get on that. I don't know. It must be related. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I remember now. Sorry, I got it. Yeah, but especially from the perspective of codes, um, if you're working on a complex project, it can be so dense and you have to dig so deep into these very complex documents. Um, If there are other people who are your colleagues who maybe work for a different firm uh, as your competition, but you can still uh, learn from them, um, uh, it's just... Uh, or you might be going through a similar struggle as uh, as others in, in different firms. And, uh, you know, maybe it's an issue of uh, a recent code change. Um, that's something that happens pretty often. They're the, they change something in the code and architects have to figure out, okay, what do we do now? Um, and then, um, you know, it's, it's just a, kind of a steep hill to climb uh, initially. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's like that, you know, they're used talking about an upcodes community, and that's where that could get, that's where, what that could be. It's like people asking questions particularly about that. So I don't know, I'm all, I'm all for that. I come at it yeah. from a sole, um, my sole practitioner, I guess, what I am, from that where I don't feel like I'm in competition with Chris, let's say. Like he does, we work in the same state and we have the same types of projects, a lot of them. So, but I don't think of them as comp, as competition, just we just kind of, might help each other so well i think even you know going back to the idea of variance or any of those things hey you know we we tried this and it didn't work and i just heard we ran into this interpretation you know somewhere somewhere else in new jersey into this eyes wide open and know that somebody else ran into it i think there's a lot of value and i'm I'm just i am absolutely fascinated by what they have have created Context and clarity live discussion. I'll be really interested to see where this goes. Where upcode here is obviously a loss to ICC, but you know, thinking about the future of the profession and how we work may not be a tool for everybody. Certainly, uh, may not make sense for for everybody, but um, I think it's fascinating, and I'm hopeful that that in some small or even big way that. The change the way we need some modernization in a lot of areas not just us but but uh, building departments and, and contractors you know, everybody in the world so um, with that I appreciate uh, both of you for jumping on and taking a little bit of time to join us backstage here I love these conversations and break down the, the conversation that we had with our guests so uh, Ryan thanks for joining us from central New Jersey uh, great to have your perspective, and as always, thanks for co-hosting this with me today from Arizona instead of Massachusetts. But uh, but thanks to both of you for being here. Well, you're welcome, Jeff. Great, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Catherine. Absolutely. And to those in uh, podcast land, thanks for uh, for supporting Context and Clarity. Uh, we appreciate you listening to both the Context and Clarity live version and Context and Clarity backstage. Let us know what you think. Let us know what feedback you have about these conversations that we have. We hope they're helpful. We hope that they're helpful to you. 
and especially this backstage version, that you can see some applications from the uh, Context and Clarity Live conversation we had earlier this evening. So to all of you out there, thank you. Appreciate all of you and uh, encourage you to Context and Clarity Live. Uh, next week, our guest will be Jonathan Siegel, and we'll talk about architect as developer. So don't uh, don't miss that, and then see who we have as our mystery guest for backstage next week. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate you, and see you somewhere sometime soon. Bye, everybody. All right. Well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned. But what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from the Context and Clarity Live conversation or from our breakdown right here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or on Twitter and let me know what your takeaways were. You can find me on all the socials at Jeff underscore Eccles. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast and leave us an honest review and rating. Those things really help us to get the message out and help us to help more architects just like you. Oh, and follow Context and Clarity on Instagram as well. There you can get a heads up on everything that's coming up. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity live again with a new special guest and a new theme for next week. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's also the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics just like this and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, 
sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.